John's Gospel in chapter 4, beginning with verse 1 in the New King James Version. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples. Jesus is the one who will not baptize with water because John came and did that. He prepared the people. Baptism was uh, an ordinance given by God to make that public declaration that the person has decided now to follow Jesus exclusively and to let everyone know and to be obedient, to obey God's command to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Have you been baptized in water? Every single believer is commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ to be immersed in water to symbolize the identification of that individual with the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. And there's a special grace, the presence of Almighty God that accompanies baptism that gives a tremendous joy and a change in direction all the more to follow the living Christ. A person that says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That he alone took the sins of the world, the curse that is upon the earth and every human being. Because of sin. Because of rebellion. Because of wanting to do our own thing. Jesus paid for that penalty. He took the punishment on his own body, on the tree. It's called the cross. That whoever believes in him should not perish, not go to hell, but have everlasting life, live with him forever. Every human being has that opportunity at some point in their lives. There's not one human being who goes to hell without having rejected Jesus Christ. We need to know that. Sometimes people have questions. Is it fair for God to just send people to hell when they didn't even have an opportunity to know about Jesus Christ? Because God is perfect and he's good and he's all loving, he will not hold a person accountable or responsible for rejecting God's Son if they didn't have an opportunity to receive him. God will make sure that every single person at some point, we'll come to know about the living God. In Romans chapter 1, it talks about creation. It talks about the conscience. It talks about the message that comes through a messenger. But there are people who have been suddenly awoken by the Spirit of God and they have decided to follow Jesus. They didn't resist it. Jesus did not come to baptize people in water, but that Baptist, the baptizer in water, John, son of Zechariah, 
and Elizabeth, he was specifically ordained of God from eternity past. It's amazing and awesome to think that God has a plan for our lives individually that was planned way before the world even was created. How awesome and true that is. We really step back and see the grandeur, the majesty of God's huge plan for our lives. And we, speck of dust in the universe, less than that. Still, Psalm 8 says that we're made a little lower than the angels. That God wants to crown us with glory and honor forever. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl is meant to live with God in heaven forever and ever. That's great news. God has made provision because there is a big disconnect due to sin and rebellion. And God said, I have paid the price with my blood. What more can he do? What more can God do? When someone gives his or her life for another individual, is there anything left to give? God has given everything and people hold God at bay and say, God, later, thank you for visiting me with the good news, but I have to go to work now and I have to do my education. I'm waiting to complete this degree. I'll think about it. Or I have to get married. I have to get settled and I have to do certain things, God. How tragic to put off the gracious offer of the living God and say, I'll think about it. We may not have another opportunity. But that good news, that great news, just as Jesus himself had a plan in eternity past for him to come as a human being to die on the cross for our sins and redeem the world, whoever should believe on him, should not perish but have everlasting life. So John the Baptist, he also had a blueprint that Jesus himself made. Physically, John the Baptist was several months older than Jesus, according to the timeline of human birth. But Jesus lived before John in eternity past because he's the creator. And he knew exactly why he sent John. To lead people to repentance, to prepare the way of the Lord. And any sincere preacher will seek God's face and say, Lord, give me the words, O Lord to convey your love and your mercy and your justice so people can know this is not a game. This is not some religion we pick, like an ice cream flavor. This is life or death, do or die forever. And the offer is there. We must grab it say, Lord, take me in. Take me into your family. And there's a blueprint for the disciples, as we read here. They're also called to baptize people in water. But notice this. In Luke 3.16, it's a memorable verse to note along with John 3.16. Many places they preach John 3.16, but they stop there. They never make it to Luke 3.16, where the holy living, holy power, and fire of the Holy Spirit to burn up evil is needed. And so many believers are not representing the Lord God for who He is. They're still struggling with sin. But God said, the same God who wrote John 3.16, the famous verse about the gospel in a nutshell, 
in some 25 words or so. The whole plan of God is contained in John 3.16, in a nutshell. Luke 3.16 shows the dunamis power, the dynamite power of Jesus Christ to radically alter our lives, to shine as bright as we can, to glorify God and to draw other people to Him. We heard Pastor Gerba relate that last evening in a very powerful, unplanned but planned by God testimony of how since the age of 10, God has helped her to shine brightly. And people were drawn to her, Hindu people, and also I should add Muslim people too. They were just drawn to her like a magnet while she was walking in the college campus among her relatives. What is that drawing power? It was her life surrendered to Jesus and loving him with everything that's within her since the age of 10. Spending much time with him. Refusing to give sleep to her eyelids. But busy building the kingdom of God. That's what God wants, but it's impossible without Luke 3.16. We must be baptized in the Holy Spirit, along with being baptized in water. God means to have our lives, to draw people to himself. Glorious life. Here, in John 3, or John 4, I should say, the Lord Jesus was found by the Pharisees, his religious blind counterparts in the temple setting, though he's the real Lord. They were envious, they were jealous, they couldn't stand it. Why are people following this man? Incidentally, I'd like to mention in a large church there in South India, as the Lord was saving multitudes of people through Pasturba, when she was just a teenager, leading worship in a huge church many years ago, as girl after girl was flocking to her side to receive the gracious words from the Holy Spirit through her mouth, being radically changed, an older not just one, I'm sure, but one in particular, leader there, a lady, became very angry. She became jealous. And she began to tell the girls, I am going to have to penalize you. I'm going to have to reprimand you if you go to that person over there and not come to my meeting. Can you picture the inner workings of an attitude that comes from such a person, surely that's the serpent in a religious garment. Instead of being glad that girls are forsaking their idols, they're forsaking immorality, they're forsaking, forsaking suicidal thoughts, something radical is happening, is happening through that person. As the curve as a teenager, instead of the older person saying in my meetings people are just going through the motions and they're respecting me because of my title but there's nothing happening oh thank you God for sending revival let me go there too to help the cause of the kingdom of God but it became a territorial vindictive attitude even to the point of preventing that's what the Pharisees did they, they try to prevent people from going to Jesus 
May we never be hindrances or stumbling blocks to people coming to Jesus. As we have said truthfully, if we are now, ourselves know people who are doing greater works and they're having anointing there and people are getting saved, healed and delivered and they're radically changing, they're separating themselves from evil in the world and they're consecrated to God and they're filled with the Holy Spirit and great things are happening in their lives. They're being blessed all around. They're learning how to fight the good fight. They're overcoming. Well, tell me and Pastor Kerba of such a place and we'll be glad to support the cause and collaborate. But alas, there's a famine such as there was in the days of the Old Testament, certain periods, there was a famine for the Word of God. People were doing their own thing. Nobody was really repenting. They're all smug having God as a coach, as a buddy, and as a fireman to rescue me when I'm in trouble. Travesty, total distortion of the very God we're supposed to bow before and embrace. It was because of John 3.16 and Luke 3.16 that God used Pastor Kerber, as we heard last evening, in a mighty way. And as she said repeatedly, He wants that for each and every one of you. God wants that for each and every one of you, and so do we. There's a period during my college days, by God's grace, similar thing happened, where I'd be in a particular building, and children, I don't know, students, that is college students, they would come around and there would be a discussion all of a sudden, impromptu, unplanned. They'd be given the gospel and answering their questions, some of them very, very upset at the tragic background they came from, blaming God. And I had to explain to them why those things happened. It wasn't God's fault. But God loves you, and that's why today He's coming to you to tell you. You need to surrender to Him. And a group of young men got saved there and on the job, and all of a sudden it was a revival. It was so thrilling. But it took me to surrender and to say, Lord, I really don't want anything. I see everything's fake. Everything. People's smiles are fake. People's ambitions are fake. Their friendliness is fake. It wasn't cynicism. It was a revelation from God. Just like Jesus said, he didn't want to entrust himself to people because he knew what was in the heart of man. It's not to say that everybody's like that, but the majority are under the spell of the devil. Why? Look at a woman. Look at a man. Look at a youngster. Are they not after image? Are they not trying to protect themselves? That self-image? And seek to look good? Who wants to be told that they have a problem? No. You cover it up. The best you can so you can look good. So people can say nice things about you. But we have to leave that all together if we want to come to God and say, Lord, you show me exactly what's in me. I thank you, Lord, that though I discover the more I come to the light, the more darkness I see, I thank you that you can do an overhaul in my life and change me so I can be like you. Glorious truth. We need to be baptized in water representing a genuine faith and allegiance and loyalty to Jesus Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus did not baptize 
in water, but his disciples did. The job got done. But what Jesus came to do was to baptize people in a far greater glorious manner by the Holy Spirit. This is the reason why John also said, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. Amazing to see. The man that's walking by the shore there, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. He didn't speak it by himself. It was by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said this, Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What's darkness? What the Pharisees were involved in. What that individual who tried to prevent young girls from coming to hear the gospel through Pastor Kerba with a religious garment, that's darkness. Jealousy is darkness. Wanting to be like Mike, if I may say so. It's not in reference to our good brother Mike here or anyone who's a believer, but that kind of saying that went around some 20, 30 years ago referring to a basketball player and also in commercials. You want to be like a certain individual. It said that imitation is the highest form of flattery. But the imitation that God is looking for is imitating holiness, righteousness, free from the taint and stain of jealousy, wringing the hands and the wheels turning in the brain when somebody looks better or sounds better or talks better or has things more. What a curse. Instead of saying, Lord, so be it. God bless them. Not sarcastically, but genuinely. Lord bless them. And if I should find even a hint of jealousy to fall on my face and say, Lord, that cobra cannot be here. Even if it seems like a baby cobra, it's deadly. There's no place for jealousy in a believer. We need to diagnose that and not feel bad about it that we are cursed forever, no, but feel good that this thing's got to go. You know, when people feel threatened, they begin to say all sorts of things. All of a sudden, they begin to implicate other people and find fault and accuse and false accusations and start a feud. A whole mess because of this jealousy. That's part of darkness. These Pharisees were jealous so much so that the Roman governor himself knew, Pilate, that for envy they delivered their own Jewish man to the Romans to be crucified. What's going on here? Pilate said, I find no fault with him. He's innocent. My wife even had a, a dream. She's scared to death. If this man is innocent, don't touch him. We're all trembling, but not the Pharisees. They say, kill him, kill him, kill him. That's what jealousy will do. I'd rather see somebody die so I can look good. Oh, Lord, have mercy. The saying, if looks could kill, it's really true. Somebody can slaughter somebody with a gaze. But this is to say that this is what darkness is, and we have no part with it. Anger, wrath, bitterness, darkness. The moment we see the flesh rising up, we need to say, hold it. Quiet on the set. It's time to have lights, camera, and action. 
I need God's light to shine this spotlight on my heart and I'm fully focused because I know heaven is recording the truth that's in my heart. I need to act right now. Not as a hypocrite, actor, but I need to take action. Say, oh Lord, oh Lord, not even a hint of immorality, not a hint of anger, not a hint of jealousy. Sometimes the best thing we can say, now counsel people and told them that, because it seems like it's the hardest thing to say. To say sorry is the hardest thing. But so is, I don't know what's wrong with me. It's so hard for people to say that before God. They may say it in passing and say, oh well, I'll deal with it later. But you know, when we say it to God, Lord, I don't know what's wrong with me. Can you help me, Lord, to figure out how I ever got into this pit of envy, unthankfulness, bitterness. No wonder we need to meditate on God's word. Jesus came to expose the Pharisees' hearts. And you know what? He's such a good God. He wasn't interested in sending the Pharisees to hell. They decided to sign on the dotted line before the devil themselves. Finally, he had to pronounce the verdict. The way you people are, regardless of the miracles you see me doing, the gracious words that are coming out of my mouth, the offer of salvation even to you. You want to kill me the sooner. Jesus finally pronounced judgment. Oh, they called it upon their own heads. He said, you're going to die in your sins. That's it. How long will God wait? A long time, but not forever. These people, they're so blinded with rage, jealousy. They weren't there serving God. They were there setting up shop to make a fast buck and to make merchandise of the people. The Lord hated it because he's true. No wonder he cleansed the temple. He said, you guys are making it a den of thieves. It's like a hideout. My temple has become a hideout for thieves. Get out of here right now. And he cleansed the temple. And he does that with us. But because we belong to him, we're his children. He doesn't speak in the same tone. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We used to be enemies of God. I used to be an enemy of God. Paul the Apostle said, I was an enemy of God. A blasphemer. What on earth has happened to Saul of Tarsus? God's love has just Filled them to overflowing. That's what happened to each one of us. You know how God, what God's tone is to us? In another chapter 3, in another part of the Bible, Revelation 3, the Lord says, I love you. Because I love you, I'm telling you, to be zealous. Revelation 3.19 that means be in earnest. Take care of this right away. Things aren't right with your heart. Come to me and I can fix it for you. I'm not looking to hold you at arm's length, but I'm looking to come and embrace you. In fact, I'm knocking at the door of your heart. If you open the door, I'll come. We'll have sweet fellowship. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, I discipline 
Paul says it this way, that we should not be judged or condemned with the world. That's why God disciplines us. We should welcome discipline. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. When God allows things to happen, where we say, Lord, I must get off my high horse. I'm not in control. Oh, Father, I'm so sorry for trying to take the reins from your control. I can't manage this horse. I need you to get in the driver's seat. One more time, Lord. I'm so sorry. When will I learn to let go and let God handle my life? It happens that as we mature, we may have to go through that. We don't have to, I should say, but we may because of our own neglect of the grace of God and His Word. But if we're in the Word, we'll be able to nip these things in the bud, as they say. No weed can grow. Hallelujah. But it's God's love that comes to us in John's Gospel. And uh, the Pharisees would have none of it. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. He's going back up north. These people there on temple grounds in southern Israel and Jerusalem, they're nothing but trouble. But then again, God has a plan. He needs to reach a lot of people. There are people in Galilee that he needs to reach by Capernaum in the surrounding regions of that sea, which is really a lake. But en route, he also had this encounter God planning this, can you imagine? Not 50 years before. Not even a thousand years, a millennium before. But from eternity past, that this woman that had five husbands, God says, I love that woman. She must become my daughter. I'm going to change her life forever. Isn't that better than the best offer you can ever hear? That woman didn't even know such a plan existed. She was a woman who went to church. Maybe she had a position in that church she went to. Uh, she said, well, our brand of Judaism is Samaritanism, and we have our own way of doing things, and I'm quite satisfied. Um, I really don't want to tell every person my business, and it's good. Because I'm looking maybe for a brand new start or at least to cover it up. And the first thing Jesus did was show her love. And uh, she began to recognize this is no ordinary man. And then he gently lifted the rock covering her weed-filled heart to expose the weeds in her life. And then he said, I can take care of that for you. But he needed to go through Samaria, verse 4, John 4, 4. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. If you recall, those of you in life training school, our Bible college, in semesters past, Jacob made the travel from uh, out east and he began to settle in different places as God led him. And one of the places was here, in Sychar. And it was a plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. When was that? 
some 1900 years before this scene in Samaria. Jesus directed Jacob 1900 years before he met this woman at Samaria by the well. God comes back to do a greater work than was done by Jacob when he gave the pot of ground to Joseph as an inheritance. Now Jacob's well was there, verse 6. Jesus, therefore, being tired, wearied from his journey as a human being, he had pain. He had pain. But his love was bigger than his pain. And so he was continuing to love on people instead of getting into a closet and saying, what was me? I have to do something about this pain. He had faith in the Father that as I do God's will, God will take care of my pain. He sat by the well. He was tired. It was about the sixth hour, which means 12 noon at the heat of the day, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. They didn't have taps then, of course. They had to go and draw the water. Some parts of the world, they still do that. Probably a lot of parts in the world, this is a custom. They had to do that. They had a need. Now, that precious piece of property uh, containing this well, water that's necessary for life, Jesus was sitting there. And what a contrast. Was it by accident? You see, multiple reasons why the Son of God chose that location. Not only because his good child, Jacob, the patriarch, traveled there, but because the well that Jacob set up there, or the well ascribed to him, had a religious meaning for the Samaritans. And also, the well represented life for obvious reasons. Now, the life-giving spirit, the second Adam, Jesus Christ. The first Adam sinned, and because of him, everybody dies. The second Adam, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, God becoming man, is a life-giving spirit, the Bible says. He's there with the living water. Next to physical water. It's just overwhelming. The lengths to which God communicates treasure he wants to give us. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now this woman comes to the well to draw water for herself. And Jesus says to her, Give me a drink. Now, she looks at him. You can probably see this is a stranger. He's a Jewish man in Samaritan territory. We don't have dealings one with another. There's animosity culturally, religiously. When Israel was devastated by the Assyrians around 722 B.C., some 700 years before this scenario, the king of Assyria 
planted people, foreigners, into Israelite territory in this region of Samaria. And a mixed breed came up. And the Jews despised that. They said, what are these people doing here? They're not Jews. And all this mixed up religion is coming up and they had their own version of Judaism. It was a, it was a terrible deviation from the truth. And God allowed it because you know why? His people took the Bible, treated it casually, threw it behind their back, put it in their cars, put it in the bag, uh, loved to carry it, but hardly read it. They despised God, and God allowed invaders to come to the point that the invader actually planted foreigners inside Israelite soil. This is a region where, I, where they had this animosity between the two people groups. But the Lord, as we know, crosses every boundary. He loves every single human being. No matter how they look, what they have, what they don't have, the Lord says, I love you. I, I made you. I made you. You are a slave to the devil. I'm coming to rescue you. He knew this woman was not just bound by cultural tradition that was contrary to Jewish custom, but she was a slave of the devil because she did the devil's will. He's going to expose that. God is not looking for people to get on the worship team to promote Christianity if they're serving the devil in secret or in public. He says, you need to clean your heart. You need a clean heart. That's why the Lord gave Pastor Kerba. He gave us that uh, regulation to give to our church from the Holy Spirit that before you touch any work at El Bethel International Ministries Church, you may be able to do it in other places, you cannot walk in darkness. Not only will you defile God's temple and God's work, you'll get a curse to yourself. It's very clear in the scriptures. So we do the proper job of a shepherd to encourage the people and to warn the people so that things are done according to God's good pleasure. These people had a different custom and they had a different religion. They're actually in bondage. They're not free. To this kind of woman, he says, give me a drink. And she's looking at him. She can see the man is Jewish and he's tired. He's in need. Um, and it says his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me? A Samaritan woman. In a very pronounced, tragic way in the United States during the time of the Civil War and continuing well beyond that, even to our generation or two, there's a tremendous animosity between those with light skin and those with dark skin. Tremendous oppression against those with dark skin. It's history. It was interesting to me, some years ago, when talking with some people of my own native country, where I was born, India, that a similar thing existed in my country too. I was too young to know this when I came to this country, but I heard about it. And we're familiar with the caste system. Now, it's not wrong to say, you know, this group of people 
in this land have a particular way that they do things, and it's different from our way. And there may be differences of opinion or tradition, and one may say, I like my way better, I don't want that way, and the other one say the same thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But the problem comes when we put down the other person and say, you're no good, because you're not doing it my way or you don't look like me. Oh God, how evil. The Lord crossed our boundaries. He looked at the heart and he said, this woman, just like the Jews, just like Africans, Indians, Japanese people, Filipino people, Puerto Rican people, all kinds of people, Irish people, they all need Jesus Christ and he loves all of them. He loves all of us. So he's getting to the heart of the matter very quickly. Her question is, what on earth are you doing here and asking me? A Samaritan woman for a drink. Are you feeling okay? Basically, she might have been thinking, what's going on? Is this a setup? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, the narrative says. That's what she thought. Jesus answered and said to her, now notice, if the question comes from the woman, she's not giving him a drink, but she's saying, we don't really get along. So don't ask me. Jesus doesn't say, wait a minute. Uh, let me tell you why we don't get along. Uh, I'm going to explain, explain, the, explain the political situation, the cultural tradition, and I'm going to give you a little lecture, and I'm going to tell you how I'm the hero. I'm crossing boundaries. Let's get along. Let's do something new. Uh, let's work for peace. Let's have a summit. No summit for peace, whether from political, governmental authorities, nations, or the local neighborhood will ever produce the fruit of righteousness unless the hearts that are collaborating or convening for peace talks have their own hearts liberated by the blood of Jesus Christ because only he's the Prince of Peace. No other kind of peace will last. Jesus doesn't talk about those things, but he gets right to the heart of the matter. He said, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. This just went over her head. She said, so what I'm getting from that statement is, you're asking me for a drink, and yet you want to give me a drink, water. And she says, well, I don't see anything in your possession to actually put into the well. It's pretty deep. How are you going to get the water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? I'm not understanding exactly what you're getting at, but are you trying to say that you're going to give me some kind of living water? Um, she's getting the perception that he's getting religious on her. That's her thinking. And she says, well, I got my religion. I have Jacob. I have the father, the patriarch. You just know who he is, don't you? The grandson of the famed Abraham. 
while he gave us the matches the well, and he drank from it himself. He gave it to sons and livestock. What are you talking about? Who are you and what are you doing here? What on earth are you talking about? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water, yeah, even the famous well of Jacob, where he drank from, they're going to thirst again. You know that. It's a fact. Because you keep coming back here to get more water. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. This is getting a little too deep now. You're going to give me water to drink. Someone says to you, imagine this, you're thirsty or not. But they say, I have a cup of water to give you. You see this cup? You see this mug? Uh, the water that's contained in this 12 ounces or 16 ounces or what have you, uh, the moment you drink that, it goes into your belly, you'll never need water again. What? But the water that I should give him would become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said, I'll take that. Are you kidding me? Not only will I not thirst again, but I'm going to become a well where the kind of water that's going to come out of me is going to spring up into everything humanity desires. An eternal fountain of youth, everlasting life. Oh, what is this? Have you read religious books? Have you read ancient books? Have you heard different religious teachers and philosophers? Some of the things they say can really go over our heads and we think, wow, that's a Shangri-La and utopia. That's a place of paradise. That's something so good. I wish I can see it. Love to touch it and be a part of that. I'm so thankful to the Lord. I have found nothing in other religions. Nothing in philosophies that I studied. Nothing. But I found everything in a very clear, straightforward way from the Lord Jesus Christ. The woman said to him, Okay. I want that water. So I won't be thirsty again and I don't have to come here to draw. Jesus said to her, well, maybe we can paraphrase between the lines as, uh, okay, so you, you want this. Uh, let's share it with your husband, shall we? Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you said the right thing. You have well said. You have no husband. It's a moment of suspense. Uh, things are getting more and more heated for her because the laser beam of God's searchlight is just scanning her heart. The Lord says, for you have had one Two, three, four, five husbands, and uh, 
the one you're shacking up with is not your husband. In what you said, you actually told the truth. You have no husband. Because your boyfriend is there. And he's not your husband. She worded the answer in a very truthful way. Self-protective way. Clever way. But you know what it says in the scriptures? And it's good for me to know and you to know. God catches the crafty in their craftiness. Whoever tries to deceive God or play smart, God just catches them and holds them up and says, you're not so smart, are you? You can't deceive me. Don't fight with me. Don't try to deceive me. I love you. I'm trying to change you. It's not going to happen if you keep trying to put on that mask. Pretend to be something you're not because I can see in your heart you're still struggling. Surrender. And all will be well. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Total stranger. Just told her life. She didn't get angry with him. She didn't try to argue with him. She agreed with him. You're a prophet. Uh, now, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Okay, you're a prophet, you're a Jew, you're coming here, you just told my life, but uh, I don't know if I can switch religions or understand. I, I'm drawn to you, but I have these questions. Um, you mind explaining this to me? Jesus said to her, Lady, believe me, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor even in Jerusalem down south worship the Father. There's a, a transcendency, there's a, an ultimate worship that God is bringing everyone to. That's why I'm here to tell you what you're worshipping, you don't even know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but I'm telling you, the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. It's not going to be about a place. And within 40 years, four decades of the Lord saying this, that great temple in Jerusalem was leveled. What do Jews do now? We don't have the temple. But if you don't have the temple, you can't offer sacrifices. What is God saying? He said, it's over. I brought a new way. My son has come. Torn the veil between the holy place and the most holy place. All can come in through the blood of the Lamb. No more sacrifices. No more temple. Now God's people become the temple of God. They can worship anywhere, anytime. But it must be according to spirit and truth. In spirit and in truth. That means with the whole heart, with a pure heart, a clean sacrifice, praises to God from unfeigned lips. No deception, no guile, according to truth. 
That's exactly what the Father is looking for, those type of people. He had it with these people, these Jews, his own Jewish people coming, bringing sacrifices and fighting with one another in the family, arguing about money and arguing about this and that and even fasting, but having fists clenched, as it says in Isaiah 58, oppressing one another. God said, that's not the kind of worship I'm looking for. Get away from my altar. I'm looking for some kind of ritual and religious ceremony. Your heart must be right. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. He gave the essence of faith real relationship with God to this woman. The woman said to him, hmm, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Now, you're talking about some stuff that is pretty high level and deep. It's still not settling with me. Um, I know. When Christ comes, he'll make everything plain. We're waiting for the Messiah too, like you Jews. Why don't we just hold off on this deep stuff? Jesus said to her, the one you're looking for, that Christ, I will speak to you. I'm Christ. Enter the disciples. They're wondering, whoa, she's... He's talking with this woman, and where are we? In Samaritan territory. Can you see their eyeballs going side to side and looking at each other and wondering what on earth is going on? But they're afraid to ask him, Lord, what on earth are you doing? What are you doing? What are you talking about with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city. She left the essential item because she found something more essential. Her heart had been touched. Glory be to God. On a particular noonday, those early years of the first century AD, the woman's heart was unlocked, sin was exposed, living water was offered to cleanse her completely, make her a daughter of Almighty God. Who? The woman that had five husbands and living with her boyfriend. how God hates it when we despise people because of their particular sin or sins. He says, make sure you take the log out of your own eye before you look at the speck in your brother's eye. Or look down on people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, you used to be blind and evil yourself. Didn't I adopt you into my family? Didn't I forgive you of your sin? Now be gentle and kind. Don't put a band-aid on the problem. Bring the person to me, the great physician, so I can cure them. We have to speak the truth. Truth and love. Love and truth. This woman's heart was touched. She ran into the city and said to the men, Come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Who's this woman? Even though the people may not have known her marital history of having five husbands, a lot of evil she did, The Lord knew. And by the way he spoke to her, he was forgiving her because she didn't argue with him. But they would have known 
most probably that she was living with a man that didn't belong to her. I don't think you could have hidden a man in those tiny houses back then when everybody knew everyone. And uh, imagine hearing from a woman that is um, not so honorable coming and telling you, look, I found the Messiah, I think. The encouragement here is when God touches your heart, you don't have to worry about what people think about you, even if they know your past and your present. But God has changed you to a new present, a brand new future. Be bold. Don't let the devil condemn you. If the Lord's touched your heart, tell somebody, Jesus loves you like he loved me. They didn't say, look who's coming here to give us some religious advice. The woman that's shacking up with a man that doesn't even belong to her. We hate for our kids to see that woman because she's a bad example. None of that went on. They were drawn because the Spirit of God had touched that woman's heart and he was going with her with the message of the gospel. They went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. They missed the whole picture and Reminds me of that teen challenge in Connecticut. The Holy Spirit's moving powerfully among the men. And all of a sudden, one of the interns there, a 50-something-year-old man, he came in the midst of what God was doing so powerfully as we're worshiping. The men were convicted deeply. They couldn't, they couldn't get up out of the seats. They were just worshiping. They're lost in God's touch. They were repenting. The man came, this intern was supposed to be in charge. He just said, ding, 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 lunchtime. Stop what you're doing and file in to the cafeteria area or by the lunch counter. It's time to eat. And how many people get awfully nervous when the Holy Spirit's moving powerfully? That's the time they think about their dog. That's the time they think about the pot on the stove back home. That's the time they think about their pension. That's the time they think about their fingernails that haven't been cut properly. That's the time they think about cutie pie, infant, totally get distracted from the Spirit of God who's moving powerfully and become a cause for distraction for others. We've had five babies. There were times when the babies would get irritated or irritable or they have a need and they can let out a cry during service. But Pastor Kirby and I did everything in our power to make sure we didn't distract others because we knew the Holy Spirit's moving. We're not going to allow anyone, not even our beloved babies, to distract them. Jesus loves little children. There's no fault with the baby. The fault is with the people, often where the babies belong to, and the people in charge in the church who get easily distracted. There have been people who come to church, I've observed, the moment they hear a baby coo, instantly turn their head and they're fixed on the child and exchanging sweet nothings to the child. 
missing the Spirit of God. His disciples said, it's lunchtime, Esther, let's eat. I, I look at this and I want to learn, don't you? Let the Lord diagnose my heart. Is food a big deal to me? And more important than that, it's not just uh, germane to food, but it has to do with a bigger picture. When God is speaking, am I keen on hearing every single breath from Him? Am I careful to be alert to destroy distractions as much as it is in my power to do so? Because it's from the devil. David says, Lord, let me never be a stumbling block to others, to your people. When you look at aircraft, it's common knowledge they're designed to um, minimize resistance in the air, wind resistance, and their bodies as aircrafts are designed to be sleek and cut through the air in a very smooth fashion. And so it is with the paper airplanes kids make. You are taught or you design it, you become creative, how to make this thing really um, go with the flow of the wind and let it pass through in a very um, economical way so that there's no resistance to the flight. That's how we have to be when we think about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and others, whether in the church setting or at home or anywhere in the car. When you know the Lord is speaking, when you know the Lord is working, we need to make sure that there's no resistance from us, there's no introduction of any resistance, and that we know how to minimize and eliminate resistance from other quarters as much as possible. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. He said, What I live on, the thing that really fills me up, gives me energy, the thing that satisfies me is to do the will of my Father who sent me on a mission and to complete that mission. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. Disciples, come on, lift up your eyes. Look at the fields. Look at the people over here in Samaria. They're already white for harvest. They're ripe. It's time to go. Bring in the sheaves. And he who reaps receives wages. Not only do you get satisfied from doing God's will in your soul, but God gives you benefits on top of that and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. One planted, one watered. The Apostle Paul says Apollos was involved. But God gives increase, but they did their part. Am I doing my part? Are you doing your part? Are you sowing the good seed every day? In some way? Are you praying like you should for other people as well as yourself? Are you 
able to see where God has sent uh, the seed of the gospel to someone, they have a background, you know. They are not saved, but they have an exposure to Christianity. And as a wise, skilled master builder, with God's help, in collaboration with the Spirit of God, you're able to build on that. And when the soul gets saved, you rejoice together with the one who planted in the first place. We're on the same team to work for our Heavenly Father. There's no territorial spirits allowed in the Church of God. There's no room for boasting. There's no room for partisanship. There's no room for factions. We're brothers and sisters with the same blood, Jesus' blood, in all of our veins, part of his body. And one soul saved anywhere and everywhere should cause us to just be overjoyed. Who got saved? That man in Brazil? I have no clue who he is, where he looks, what he looks like, but I heard he got saved. Shouldn't that make me rejoice? I should grow to that level if I'm not there. Say, Father, oh, thank you, Lord. I don't know who he is. My father. Suppose that man was my brother. Suppose he was my physical brother. Or suppose he was the relative of one of my fellow brothers and sisters in the church right here at home. Wouldn't I be happy and start texting and say, praise God, hallelujah, and encourage? Shouldn't I do the same thing? Isn't that man way off in Brazil as valuable as any one of us? Shouldn't we rejoice with great joy? The Lord just brings the disciples a perspective into heaven's view to show them you're interested in satisfying my belly. It's good you care about me, but there's something bigger going on here. Don't get distracted. And let me tell you another thing. The harvest is ripe. Isn't that our mission? Look, don't miss the opportunity. Follow me. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And let me tell you, you want to have a part in this work, don't you? Be ready. We can all rejoice together. For in this, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. Verse 37 of John 4. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Disciples, you're having a pretty easy time. All you have to do is and, uh, come and gather the crops. Don't get distracted now. Golden opportunity. God gives you some job to do in his house. Grab it and say, oh, Lord, I have a part in the harvest. Hallelujah. And it's not even hard. Oh, God, there have been people who labored so much more. And uh, here I come. Maybe Johnny come lately at the 11th hour and I get the same wages. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Help me to have my eyes wide open. Understand, oh, Lord. Be ready to do your will at all times. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. God has ordained it. What has God given you to do in expanding his kingdom? Are you faithful in that? Are you diligent? Are you zealous? And are you forward to be ready for action the moment you have to do something for God? Or are you lazy and indolent and lethargic and sluggish and God comes and convicts me, he convicts you, perhaps. If the conviction comes from the Holy Spirit, we need to say, I've got to change some things here. 
I don't want to be a vehicle that has a hard time starting up, hard time continuing, hard time reaching the destination. The moment God says, let's go, I need to be full throttle up ahead. Let's go, Lord. Thank you, Lord. What's in it for me? No food. You're hungry. No money. You have needs. Um, Time, energy, all these things are being uh, exhausted, Lord. But then I'm living for him who died for me. And I'm here on his business. Where? At church? In a Christian school? No, everywhere. My foot treads. I'm on the Father's business. Ready. As we heard Pastor Griffith say on the bus, as a youngster, she would pray and pray and pray. And when God moves her, she'd speak to people, even old ladies, even Hindu ladies and other people. A Russian man on the flight from India to the U.S. She gave the gospel to him. Their hearts were touched because the Holy Spirit led her, but she was available. Her focus was the bigger picture. That's what God is telling us. Always be on the lookout. Not for who you want to evangelize, but what God shows. To do it His way. So, many of the Samaritans of that city believed in Him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. He told my life in a few sentences. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. Look at the tremendous impact. They were drawn to the Savior. The disciples, if they had their way, they'd say, Lord, uh, we left Judea because we have trouble from the Pharisees. We've got to go to Galilee. Let's go back to home base by Capernaum, and we're familiar with that territory. These guys in the middle, it's a rough neighborhood. We don't like these guys. Look at them. Beady eyes peering at us and hating us, casting scorn in their teeth against us. We're Jews. Let's get out of here. God so loved the world. Red and yellow, black, brown, white. They are precious in His sight. Thank God He didn't follow the disciples' advice or their agenda. All these people came. They're drawn to the Savior. Oh, they were headed for hell in that one encounter with the woman. Spirit of God drew not only the woman, but all these people. You and I have the potential, once again, as we heard Pastor Gerber say yesterday, to draw people to Jesus Christ by our faithful obedience to Him, our love for Him, and our love for people sing right into their hearts, breaking every barrier and saying, Lord, Give me a burden, your compassion for the people, Lord, so that I am all set to go when you say, go and speak. Go and uh, do this act of self-sacrifice. Take your time, talent, and treasure. Put on the altar so that person can be saved. Can you do it? Can you get off a bus if God tells you and you're on your way to some important place so a soul can be saved? If God should redirect your path, Or is it hard? And you start counting the cost. By that time, the soul gets away. But we need to be led by the Spirit. We're not talking about any thoughts and saying the Spirit of God told me. There are too many people 
too many people, God have mercy, saying the Holy Spirit told me to say this. You better be sure that you know beyond a shadow of doubt that God really spoke to you before you say the Holy Spirit told me. It's a dangerous thing. Too many Christians, the moment they have a thought, even a dream, they start making up things and they think that God is speaking to me. We need God to direct us. We need to know how to hear from God and not mix up anything. But God does speak. And He loves to speak to His people. The more we train ourselves to really be sincere before Him, spend time with Him, we'll begin to recognize His voice. My sheep, they hear me. They know my voice. They follow me. They recognize. The voice of a stranger, they will not hear. We need to be really anointed, really led by God, really able to hear when the Holy Spirit speaks and then we can say the Holy Spirit told me not be presumptuous these Samaritans had come to him they urged him to stay with them and he stayed there two days he was en route to Capernaum or the regions around Galilee and the people constrained him like the two on the road to Emmaus and he stayed More miracles happened. More people believed. Many more people believed because of his own word. You think he stayed quiet for two days? And said, well, I worked already by the well there at noon in the heat of the day. Now two days to relax. No. He came to give the bread of life. Are you keen on giving the bread of life? Are you keen on being a witness wherever you are? Saying, Lord, I'm here for you. He gave all for me, Lord. It's a joy to enter into the labor for the harvest is ripe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, and it's written that they did believe, but many more. They said, For we ourselves have heard him. And we know that this indeed, who, the Jewish man, is the Christ, the Savior of the world. All the hope our religion ever had. He's it. Hallelujah. Father in heaven, we thank you. Showing us the way of everlasting life. The glory, Lord God, of letting you diagnose our hearts, Lord. Making us fit for your service, Lord. We can be ready to do your will everywhere. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. For choosing us, Lord. For lavishing your grace upon us, Lord. Abba Father, who has given us eternal life, given us your holy, beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, how shall you not, along with him, give us everything we need today? Thank you, Lord. For the bread of heaven. We love you, Lord. Thank you, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.